0: Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay, a queer exploration of pretty little liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your
1: other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus.
0: And tonight we are here to talk about the new normal, an episode which I feel could just as well be titled White Men Behaving Badly.
1: <laughs> yes, I like that. This is a this is um an interesting episode. We're getting a lot of pieces of show lore, I feel. Uh we're getting some self referential stuff that we haven't really seen before. Um but before we get into the episode itself, I wanted to have a brief conversation, we'll see how brief it is, about the title of this episode. Um, This episode, obviously, called The New Normal, and the concept of something being the new normal is something that I've always found kind of fascinating. I've written about it before. Uh, For me, two things kind of come to mind. I think about, like, an inevitable change that can shake up a paradigm, like coming out or falling in love or having a baby or getting a divorce, a life transition. It could be good. It could be bad. But it kind of resets someone's reality and there's a transitional period, and then eventually it's just the new reality. So, there's that side of something be, being the new normal. But I also started thinking about this idea of normalization, which feels more insidious, like um, something inherently wrong becoming accepted as a part of the status quo, like with normalized rape culture and racism. And we, we see this with predatory behavior and in like grooming kind of behaviors. And so, that was all coming to mind for me so what in this episode do we think is being established as the new normal
0: that is a great question i feel like there are a couple of things that happen that do after this episode airs permanently shift the dynamics one of them is that haleb starts to operate more as a unit Uh, with Hannah and Caleb the other of course is that Spoby starts to to lock into place as more of a couple Um, so those are two dynamics that are going to go on for really the rest of the show's run with you know various bumps in the road of course but um, it it does kind of launch both of those ships out into the universe it also definitely is the first episode where you get the feeling that Paley is going to be a ship for Emily uh, if if anybody didn't You know, get that from Paige, as you said, standing there in the rain Mm -hmm. uh, at Emily's doorstep. This is this is the episode that launches that, too. The other things that this episode does is it changes the dynamics between Emily and her family. Pam goes from uh, feeling like Emily's queerness is a threat that's coming from inside the house to circling her wagons when someone is attacking Emily from outside the family unit. So Mm -hmm. we see a a dramatic shift in Pam uh, that is the first step on, on the journey that she's going to go on uh, through the seasons with, with her daughter. And also um, the other new normal that we're going to have to get used to uh, that this episode shows us is, a one-off plot line that exists for no reason and goes nowhere in the instance of our fake architect Leland James who comes to town uh causes chaos for the space of one episode and then is never heard from again
1: (laughs) that is a great point that is a great point yeah the the James Leland subplot is definitely uh an example of that um yeah I I I I was interested in this particular episode title. You know, I think in terms of the idea of things being normalized, Pretty Little Liars does a great job in these early seasons of uh, making Emily's queerness very normal to her friends. But the other side of that is Presria is portrayed as very normal as well uh, in a way that I think is really damaging. And I, I think that both of those attitudes, the good and the bad, extend beyond just what's happening into the show and also into sort of the audience as well.
0: Agree. Totally agree.
1: Okay. And that's, this concludes my Ted talk <laughs> on the concept of the new normal.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Well, okay. So we open on Hannah, Spencer, and Emily in bed together. <laughs> Technically, huddled on emily's bed anyway as they discuss melissa's pregnancy hannah wants to know how it happened and spencer says pretty much the usual way uh which we can take to mean no stolen eggs and dead psychiatrist sperm so good to know (laughs) well
1: (laughs) emily like she quickly is like yeah we know that she does not want to hear about the mechanics of straight sex in this moment (laughs) (laughs)
0: um spencer shows them the braille clue that toby passed along to her uh, Aria is like as far away as she can get without actually climbing out the window to sit on the roof. Uh, she has a ton of like wronged woman energy. Uh, and when the letters are B A D, uh, she theorizes that Toby punked them. Uh, when Kenneth Spencer and Emily don't think he'd do that, she gives them a you'd be surprised what people are capable of. She eventually bounces too mad to even hang around and be passive aggressive towards Hannah anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah and it's clear that uh, Spencer and Emily do not know what went down with the whole museum ticket fiasco mm-hmm. from the last episode uh, also how how considerate of Emily to have a window seat in her room that Arya could brood in you know <laughs> she really she really thought that one over. Um, we go from this scene over to the Marin kitchen where Ashley is retrieving some cold, hard cash from the freezer. Uh, this is the last of the cash, and uh, she plans to return it to the safety deposit box. Hannah posits that maybe they could give the money to someone who needs it, presumably caleb uh but but Ashley says no, she's going to take it back to the bank and No sooner has Ashley like not even barely closed the door than Hannah rushes over to let Caleb <laughs> up from the basement, which like girl like hang on for five minutes, you can wait. Um, They do their classic kind of snark flirt, but it's clear that Hannah doesn't like the idea of him leaving when he mentions possibly going to Arizona. And uh, because they they were so hasty in, in getting their breakfast on, Ashley comes back in. And I love the idea that it's so preposterous that Hannah would wear a beanie that she has to actually take Caleb's beanie, which has been left on the counter, and go soak it in the sink. Because, like... Hannah would never be caught dead in a beanie.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that That is a great moment for Hannah. It's also um, a precursor to Hannah choosing to deal with objects by hiding them in the dishwater. That's also something that she does when uh, she doesn't want her mom to check her phone towards the end of season two. <laughs> um, it works better with the beanie, but I like that that's sort of one of Hannah's, <laughs> one of the tricks that Hannah has up her sleeve
1: yeah it's like her it's like her instinct panic response just like put it in the sink
0: well also it speaks to like how the marins do dishes in that there's always like soapy water and dirty dishes in the sink i feel like uh that certainly speaks to my level of housekeeping also
1: (laughs) indeed um at school aria is kind of seems a bit tense as she walks around and she sees hannah smiling with Caleb and uh, giving him back his presumably not not still so-soaked beanie. And they have this conversation where Aria apologizes for being so mean and Hannah kind of says she, has it, she had it coming. Aria points out that A, made it hurt more by giving Hannah the ticket to give to Ella rather than just giving Ella the ticket themselves. Uh, and Hannah remarks that she doesn't like knowing what she's capable of. Arya has an interesting line here where she says, "But you didn't go through with it. That's the difference." And my question is, what exactly does Arya think happened? Because, or what did Hannah tell her? Because Caleb went rogue on his whole breaking down Ella's car thing. If Hannah, like, if he had not intervened, it would have gone down exactly how A had predicted. <laughs>
0: that is a good question i know that she did sort of tell them about caleb maybe what aria means is just that hannah tried to undo the damage before the damage could happen
1: yeah yeah i'm wondering if hannah kind of like you know dressed that story up a little bit and was like i begged caleb to. i paid him uh yeah it's kind of a funny moment (laughs)
0: That that could definitely be. Um, I also do give Aria props. Uh, she wants to have a truce with Hannah, but having no lingerie handy to signal with, she instead opts to directly apologize. I think that's an interesting tactic.
1: <laughs> yes, it's not quite Mona's tactic, but it it works. It works for these two. <laughs>
0: um meanwhile prezra is holding court at a lunch table with the other teachers bragging about how he won a silent auction for a private book signing and coffee with a well-known author uh he invites random teacher at his table lady to go and she turns around and invites ella i would say that this is somewhat intrusive but now the author doesn't have to spend a whole coffee date with Fitz, so it's really a win for him um but Let's also note that Presra already isn't who he says he is as he has enough money to win a pricey silent auction bid.
1: True. Yeah, you can tell he is just relishing every minute of explaining this thing that he won to these two teachers. And they're like, I like sort of the, you know, thinking about the politics and the, the behind closed doors of the Rosewood teachers like these teachers seem very moony over him but i feel like there's some teachers on the staff who just like totally don't buy it
0: i definitely definitely agree um also in so all the stuff is happening like in the cafeteria uh emily is wearing what i originally thought would be this episode's distracting hat hands down (laughs) Uh, It's a white toque hat as she talks to Spencer about Toby Uh, Spencer for her part in the unique outfit choice tableau is either wearing zigzag suspenders or a shirt with a design that looks like zigzag suspenders. Uh, Either way, it looks like something Marlene Dietrich would wear. So I am calling a queer look alert on it. (laughs) Um, The conversation shifts to Caleb and Hannah as the liars, uh, as Arya and Hannah arrive and the liars warn Hannah that Caleb is a shady tough and Spencer calls him the artful Dodger, um, Arya sticks up for him, and then Hannah says he's no Arthur Dodger, whoever that is. Uh, and then Hannah shuts down this conversation by pointing out that they used to have this exact same back and forth about Toby.
1: Yeah, this scene is really interesting because it starts off with Spencer and Emily talking about Toby. And Spencer remarks that she doesn't think that Toby would lie to them and, and Emily agrees. And so the two of them are kind of bonding over their understanding of this misunderstood boy. And then Hannah and Aria come over and the two of them are kind of bonding over their misunderstand their understanding of the misunderstood boy of Caleb. Uh, but it is still so funny, like, you know, there are multiple times in this scene they're like, Caleb's a really dark guy like you need to be really careful about him he's really really dark which is like hilarious to me because Caleb is like there's nothing that we've seen that shows Caleb as being in any way dangerous it's not like that he has a gun it's not like they found him with drugs he was living in the air vent like due to a you know a failing of the foster care system and he like sets people up with new ringtones like this kid is not bad news
0: you may just be underestimating the dangers of like the gateway underworld of redoing people's phones okay Vina you just you, you don't know what that might lead to today ringtones tomorrow better That's data <laughs>
1: something terrible
0: uh he, he, yes it's phones made of heroin that's obviously that's, what comes next uh,
1: yes it's, it's the natural conclusion um i i took notes throughout this episode of what i saw as examples of kind of this like almost meta commentary that's happening and one of the first examples takes place in this scene where the liars kind of share a laugh over sean's lack of an edge because spencer says oh you wanted somebody a little more edgy after sean And uh, Sean will get another shout out in this episode that seriously made me laugh. But uh, yeah, and this also begins the theme of Spencer being awfully interested in her friend's potential romantic entanglements because Hannah, you can see, is kind of a little bit smitten here. Like she's smiling a little bit, a little bit more than than uh, than maybe she would if Caleb was just a friend
0: agree agree oh so just then we get our first angry white man of the episode uh angry white man in a suit storms into the cafeteria and just everything about his presence screams i want to speak to the manager (laughs) he stomps over to the to the teacher table and demands to speak to coach fulton presra asks if the coach is expecting him the man is very shouty the coach is avoiding him he shouts he is nick mccullers father of Paige mccullers and he has already spoken to the principal thank you very much all he got was a lot of feel-good political correctness presra stands up and they're doing some like weird camera work here to make presra look taller and more (laughs) imposing which is an interesting choice. Um, Prezra sees where this is heading and does not want to get let this like rude dad who's basically wearing a MAGA hat years before they're even invented get there. But this man is in a suit and he is mad, mad, mad about the agenda in this place, taking opportunities away from his daughter and giving them to someone who doesn't deserve them. My girl is the best swimmer on that team and you can't give it to someone else just because... Which point, Prezra cuts him off and reminds him they are in a cafeteria full of kids, and that's not the audience you want. So, like, who is the audience he does want? The seven hundred club. <laughs> <laughs> but Nick yeah. McCullough
1: is so gross. <laughs> he's so gross. Yeah, I, I clocked that as a weird line from Ezra as well. Like in my memory of this scene, Ezra, Ezra, like stood up to Nick a little bit more, but in but he's basically just like, you know this is going to end up on the internet. Let's do this behind closed doors, old boy. Like, that's how we do it down at the club. Um, yeah, the the saddest part to me about this scene is Paige's face and Emily's face. Like, Paige, Paige sees her dad, and you can just tell, she sort of shudders. She knows what he's going to say before he even says it. Like, she's, she's seen this show before. And Emily is, like... And on the one hand, she's, uh, you know, you can tell that she's feeling, like, kind of humiliated. On the other hand, you can tell that she's feeling really bad for Paige. Um, and Hannah kind of grabs Emily's elbow in a in a sweet, subtle way. But, yeah, Nick McCullers, Mr. Homophobia himself is just the worst.
0: Yeah, I hate how he wants to talk to Prezra instead of Ella or any of the lady teachers because he wants it to be all, like, man to man. Um, I also find the way that he says my girl in reference to his 16 year old daughter to be gross. And also the way that he's like clearly raising all of this hell against pages wishes and like very much against her will which we know because like when she sees her dad and sees where it's going uh she either slinks out of the cafeteria in shame or wishes hard enough that a hole opens up in the floor to actually swallow her because when emily looks back after this is all done uh page is no longer there
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, he's really using all the dog whistle buzzwords, right? Agendas, political correctness, preferential treatment, um, and yeah, and Ezra Ezra cuts him off before it can get much worse, but it's still pretty bad.
0: Now, what do you think, a lot of people, I feel, um, you know, give Ezra a great deal of credit for preventing Nick McCullers from calling Emily a homophobic slur in the middle of the cafeteria. <laughs> um, I, I mean, that's undeniably a good yeah. thing, but- yes. i'm generally of the opinion that doing one good thing does not make presra a good guy and also that like presra rises up into this conversation and is singled out by nick mccullers for this conversation because you know the two of them are the same they're white men who by virtue of the patriarchy and their socioeconomic status uh they're accustomed to getting their own way which makes it Hilarious that Nick McCullers is accusing Emily of getting special treatment for being gay, seeing as how he's marching into the school and insisting that father knows best who should be swimming where, because he's a straight white guy and everybody should listen to him. Yes,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well said, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's like people, yeah, he's just awful here. He's just awful here. The things that he's saying about about preferential treatment are just absurd.
0: Yes. Um and you know I feel like this scene and the scene where Presra gets shot uh you can try to use those to build like an imaginary tower of Presra is a nice guy or a good guy but I really feel like it's not what you do one time it's what you do every day and we should not lose sight of the fact that every day Presra is lying to the people around him he's spying on the liars he's manipulating his way into a relationship with an underage girl who's one of his students, uh, and our bar for good guys, I feel like needs to be higher than this. Oh,
1: totally agree. I mean, I, like, Ezra does not deserve an award for the way that he acts in this scene. Like, he he really does. He pretty much does like the bare minimum to to shut to shut Nick up. I mean, interestingly, he speaks the language of of white man, right? Like, he says like you don't want. You know, you don't you don't want everybody to see you like, you know, be really inappropriate here. So I don't think he's he's I, I don't. I think that he's basically saying, like, you don't want to humiliate yourself. He's not saying, like, you're bad. You're a bad homophobe, Nick McCullers.
0: The problem isn't your sense of entitlement. The problem is you letting everyone see the sense of entitlement that you exactly. carry inside of you. Um, also I think it's interesting that like Nick McCullers is doing this uh, and he's like really taking out this vendetta on Coach Fulton. And I think that gives it an interesting dynamic because Nick McCullers is like the straight white man and Coach Fulton is a black woman. So I think that's an interesting like that's an interesting piece to keep in mind also. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I agree. I, I was just gonna say I and I think one could one could like headcanon that coach fulton herself might be queer mm-hmm. i mean she her reaction to emily in the locker room scene like you could totally just read that as her like being a, a great coach but you could also when she w- she was really really sensitive to emily's situation and really wanting to champion for emily and you could read that maybe she has some personal experience there
0: yeah yeah um also i felt like it was super interesting uh what what ezra says to Uh, Nick McCullers is that the cafeteria is full of kids who are trying to eat their lunch and I think that use of the word kids is very striking I yes
1: I took note of that as well like kids including your girlfriend your underage child bride (laughs) oh man but from one scummy man to another um, we head over to the bank where this man who just looks like like the younger lizard version of Byron Montgomery, James Leland, has arrived. Um, he claims to be Esther Potter's great nephew. Uh, Ashley comments that she did, they didn't think that Mrs. Potter had any living relatives. And uh, he's just kind of slick and oily and a little too prepared. Ashley's asking for documents. He has them right there um she he wants to know what she knows about mrs potter she wants to know what he knows about mrs potter he tries to charm her by asking her out for drinks i feel like this scene could very easily be read that ashley has just murdered mrs potter the way that they're talking like and the way the music is playing it's like you were the last one to see her alive right like how when was the last time you saw my aunt like it's it's Obviously, we know it's because of the money, but you know it's kind of fun to think that Ashley like scared an old lady into having a heart attack and dying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> agree, totally agree. Um, yeah, this scene is uh, this scene is pretty incredible. Um, neither of them really knows anything about Mrs. Potter other than that she maybe had all of this money that both of them feel like they want access to. So, I mean, that's a, as good a basis for having drinks with a man as, as probably anything Ashley has ever done. So, right. good luck.
1: <laughs> well, and this is, you know, this is very much like the whole Wilden situation where Ashley doesn't like this man. She's not attracted to him. She doesn't want to go out for drinks with him. But it's like, You gotta do what you gotta do and sometimes using her feminine wiles is the way that ashley you know can most effectively get what she wants get information get out of something that she doesn't want to do and uh i mean we can headcanon certainly that this has been a theme in ashley's life for a very long time
0: yes yes oh do you want to take us back to the school
1: Oh, sure. So in the hallway, Emily is just, you know, she's trying to get through this hard day and who should ambush her but a very frantic Paige McCullers, who is just like all wild eyes and like talking way too fast. You know, she, she's telling Emily that like her dad, her dad just just wants to just wants to know. uh He wants to know, you know, why 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 page didn't get anchor. And, you know, frantically saying that she didn't tell her dad that Emily was gay. He must have asked around. And uh, she's, she's just like, the desperation here is just really, really striking. And Emily just is trying to, like, get out of this conversation as quickly as possible.
0: Yes. Um, Paige is also wearing another one of those I swear I'm straight ill-advised necklace situations and a cardigan with turtles on it. <laughs>
1: You know, I've
0: I realized through our conversations, I used to wear
1: those necklaces all the time in high school. <laughs> um, Apropos were, of nothing.
0: Were Were they part of a I'm not queer disguise or were, were they just part of your look at that time?
1: Like, nah, little column A, little column B. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was both um yeah yeah but but in the same hallway scene we've got a lot of like we're in one set and then we're gonna move into another part of the story kind of things happening in this episode uh byron and ella are in the hallway they are talking about the upcoming parent teacher conferences and of course byron like he can't make it to to all of aria's conferences um so so yeah, they're gonna have to move the schedule around Ella says he, he should make sure that he goes and meets Ezra, and uh, Ella is is really really smitten with Ezra here because he's just uh, he's just just stared down the face of Nick McCullers, and uh, Byron does have a funny line as Ella's going on and on about Ezra's virtues. He says, "Does he play guitar?" And uh, yes, in fact, he does. Byron, <laughs> as we will find out,
0: and he has and- a manual typewriter. <laughs> Ooh. Uh,
1: the, the line that you pointed out in, in one of our last episodes where Ella says, same Nick McCullers with the same paranoia, uh, he, he, Ezra cut him off before he could talk about the gay agenda. So Nick definitely does have a reputation as being like the town homophobe. But Ella thinks that Byron will like Ezra. Ezra doesn't seem so sure. they um, Byron has an interesting line where he says, I thought we could just pick up where we left off regarding their date, but also regarding their marriage. Uh, and Ella, who is kind of seeming to enjoy stoking some jealousy in her husband, um, tells Byron that she's going to be going to this book reading with Ezra and uh, Byron. Byron is not so sure about any of this, much less the author that they're going to be listening to.
0: Yes. And Ella's weird pseudo attraction to Fitz is another somewhat I I keep using the word gross um, but it's another (laughs) distasteful element uh, of this episode but I think it's also worth examining because she likes Fitz for the same reason that that Arya does he's basically Mm -hmm. a younger version of Byron he's smarmy intelligent manipulative willing to date a much younger student and turned on by the power imbalance Mm mm-hmm And I also think that that is one of the reasons why Byron uh, winds up taking an immediate dislike to him. They are too similar. Byron recognizes that game. And I feel like um, there's a a definitive reason why Byron does not want a guy like that around his wife and around his daughter.
1: Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I think that it's like looking in a mirror for Byron and all of the the things that he's later going to say about Ezra, I think he could just as easily kind of apply to him. Yes. Um, over at the Kavanaugh house, Toby's made a new mailbox. Uh, the mailbox is, is unsmashed and uh, sitting proudly outside the Kavanaugh house as Spencer makes her way um, up to up to talk to Toby, who is on his way to talk to the D to the DA. But Spencer is concerned about the code, and Toby tells her that she read it wrong, and uh, invites her to come back during Jenna's flute lesson the following Saturday morning. And I love that that, um, Spencer gets an A text. Jenna's going to be so mad, which I just love, like, A, keeping it real. Like, I'm not even going to threaten you with anything. I'm just telling you, like, there's a storm coming, Spencer.
0: yes i like that i like that mona knows about the liar's bone deep fear of jenna to the point that she's just sending messages jenna's gonna be so pissed (laughs) um i i also my note on this scene is that toby has his lawyer who's there to take him to his dad's office which why wouldn't his dad be there to take him to the lawyer's office your lawyer isn't your chauffeur they charge a lot of money per hour I don't know i don't know i think that the the show must just not have wanted to have toby's dad present in in such a minor role but i just felt like pll the way you think the legal system works is really interesting
1: what what do you think toby's dad is like
0: absent (laughs) well (laughs) i mean i kind of imagine him as like a beta version of um of kenneth de laurentis mm,
1: mm-hmm. i could see that i could see that yeah i i i can't even imagine what he would look like or like sound like you know like or he'd probably move creepy like toby and yeah i just i imagine him as kind of kind of a sad sack but also probably very stern
0: yeah i guess i i don't picture him being creepy like toby i picture him being like aggressively normal like i imagine him to be like a guy who like all of his suits are one color and like all of his ties are one color and he just like rotates through them when they get dirty or something i i think he probably has like a real boring office job that's like kind of important i i, I just i don't think that uh he knows what to do with toby because toby is so weird <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, Toby is like aggressively weird and his dad would be and Jenna is also aggressively weird. And uh, I feel like Toby's dad is like, Oh my God, what do we do with these kids? And I have no idea what Jenna's mom is like. I mean, I kind of, I could kind of see her being like, um, like the mom in Haunting of Hill House, you know, just like prone to, you know, to migraines and like wandering around her house in a daze
0: yeah i think i wrote a fic one time where she was like some kind of like sales rep who just traveled like all the time because it seemed like there had to be some reason why they were like living in this house like like hansel and gretel like in the (laughs) woods unsupervised
1: yeah like like a very very creepy version of hansel and gretel yeah like like, flowers in the attic hansel and gretel
0: sorry the fact that like jenna was like within the last two years was blinded in an accident that occurred in the home and like neither of them feel the need to be particularly present to like see how she's doing with that or if she has any particular needs or feelings or you know it's all good
1: (laughs) yeah oh she's fine the girl bounces back quickly oh yeah yeah that's the
0: parent's Maybe the parents hate each other now. Maybe it's a thing where, like, that accident happened and Toby was blamed for it. And so, like, Jenna's mom blamed Toby's dad, and Toby's dad, like, blamed Jenna's mom for Toby having to be sent away. Like, maybe it's, you know, maybe there's some kind of that dynamic going on.
1: I'm honestly surprised that PLL didn't reveal in season, you know, in 7B, and they probably would have revealed in, like, 9A that, um, you know, Mary Drake was actually Jenna's mom and, like, Kenneth was actually Toby's dad or, or you know, Byron or somebody.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if, if PLL had gone on for, like, another two or three or five seasons, I'm sure it would have gotten to the point of, like, Days of Our Lives, where anyone with unknown paternity is probably, like, a spawn of John Black um, or, like, Austrian royalty of some kind coming into town, so... Yeah, I'm sure that um I'm sure that eventually Mary Drake would have been the mother of all. Oh, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, we wouldn't have been able to ship anybody cuz it just would be one oh, big extended yeah, Or there would
0: have been um wasn't there another sister? Wasn't there like an aunt Kathy whose house burned down or something? Like Aunt Kathy might have also like been related in the in the parental tree somehow.
1: I always thought that that aunt was going to come back in some way. Aunt Carol, I think it was. Carol, there you go. Yeah, the one whose house they went to. But anyway, we could get lost down the rabbit hole of PLL family trees and we'd <laughs> never find our way back out. Um, <laughs> do you want to take us to this Hannily conversation? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Emily is talking to Hannah on the phone where Hannah is still being forced to spend defend, uh, defend spending time with Caleb. Uh, she says she's an excellent judge of character which prompts Emily to mention her attempts to set Aria up with Noel Khan, but they don't think Noel is a anymore. So I'm not sure why that was relevant. Hannah's response is broken in on by Pam coming upstairs to eavesdrop slash offer Emily the last bit of cobbler, which Emily does not want. She does tell her mom it's only Hannah, which Hannah is mildly offended by. <laughs> um. Hannah asks if she told her mom about Paige's dad coming to the school. Emily says no. She describes the atmosphere at home as sub-zero and thinks her mom would blame her for having a disgusting lifestyle. Uh, She also changes the subject and asks what's up with Hannah and Aria, which there's a very nice cut where we switch to Aria talking on the phone to Spencer, who's also asking about this fight that she had with Hannah. Aria says it's nothing. She tries to change the topic of conversation by asking about Toby, which is a nice parallel to what Emily and Hannah were doing. Uh, And then do you want to talk about the sirens and what that seems to set off? with one Spencer Hastings
1: yes I do I just have one quick comment on the Hannah and Emily conversation which is I love this conversation and and Hannah says Paige is such a knob and Emily kind of immediately defends Paige and I really like how Emily is clearly sort of feeling feeling some kinship with Paige I think that in this scene I would say we can definitely say that she knows on some level um about Paige's queerness she's kind of gotten it I feel but anyway Oh, do you want to say something on
0: that? Yes, thank you for reminding me that uh, Hannah uses the word "knob" to describe Paige because I'm definitely writing that down in my moments when PLL is suddenly using slang of the fifties <laughs> in Rosewood High today.
1: Yeah that that was a that was a weird choice, um, but anyway we uh, we we go to to the Spencer and Aria scene. Spencer is lounging on her bed um talking on the phone with aria and suddenly detective spencer gets distracted because she's on the phone with aria but she's starting to hear sirens and there's no sirens on her block and as she points out to aria if there were sirens where aria is there would be sirens where spencer is but that is only if aria was at home and suddenly spencer realizes aria is at fitz's and Spencer, like, she sits up and snaps into this, like, scandalized, turned-on zone um, at Aria being in Fitz's apartment. And uh, she asks, you know, is is are you on the bed? Aria, who was on the bed, immediately jumps off and says no. And Spencer says, is he in the shower? And uh, Aria, who is realizing this conversation is rapidly getting to a place that she is not prepared to deal with, Says that uh, this is starting to sound like like a 900 number. And Spencer affects this sort of breathy tone and says, To talk to a hot English teacher, press three. Which, just so we are all clear, this is Spencer trying to initiate phone sex with Aria. She may be talking about Ezra, but Ezra isn't even there. She's not even in the room. Spencer is literally asking Aria to role play English, te- like hot English teacher sex on the phone with her. Uh, and I just think, you know, that's how I'm gonna read this and that's how I think everybody should read it too. And I'll I'll note when Aria starts to get a little uncomfortable, probably because she's starting to feel a little bit into it, uh, and Aria immediately says, Call ending now, Spencer sounds extremely disappointed. <laughs>
0: complete agreement i feel like there's a great question as to whether spencer is turned on by the thought of presria or whether she is turned on at the idea of aria as a bad girl
1: yeah she's turned on by something here like she there's a lot there and i kind of like the reading that she doesn't even really know what turns her on about it but like something about all of this is like it's like awakening something in her um, i imagine that probably she and toby had to do a lot of like teacher student role play but i don't really want to think about that too much uh but yeah she's like her reaction is immediate when she realizes where aria is
0: yes yes um Prezra returns with takeout uh he has some concerns about meeting aria's dad and feels like it'll be complicated aria is blithely sure that they will like each other because they're the same person and unworried that they will repel like two ends of a magnet
1: <laughs> uh, yeah you know ezra comments that it's not a big deal with ella because the, he can just see her as a colleague but i also think it's because you know because of the patriarchy because el you know byron is aria's father and that is you know much more significant than aria's mother
0: Yes, he's going to have to negotiate with Byron regarding the dowry of cows and chickens, whereas Ella is just a silly woman. And also, uh, I think Ezra is very aware of his, the effect that he has on ladies, and he realizes that he has Ella sort of snowed because of this, um, mm-hmm. you know, this, this little uh, bit of, like, you know, whatever it is, residual thirst that she seems to have for him.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, over at the Marin house, Ashley is preparing for her date with James Leland. This is a really fun scene. She, Ashley comments that she will know more after the second martini about what exactly he's after. Um, and when, when uh, there's a knock at the door, they go to answer it, and Caleb is standing outside. There's kind of this interesting back and forth where he introduces himself to Ashley, and nobody is explaining to Ashley exactly who Caleb is to Hannah. But it's uh, you know seems rather boyfriendish, and uh, Ashley pulls Hannah aside to uh, to to say that she doesn't want Hannah to be alone in the house with Caleb. And when Hannah points out that she could be alone in the house with Sean, Ashley resists the urge to say, "Well, honey, I knew that Sean wasn't going to try anything because Sean is gay. You're the only person who doesn't know that." Um, instead, Ashley says, "No, Sean was the the son of a reverend and called Hannah Hannah Banana," and. Uh, Caleb then opens the door, and uh, there, is, there is James Leland standing there, and they have this interesting back and forth about, you know, are you Ashley's son, which he basically will be by the series end, and uh, before Ashley and James head out the door, she procures some paperwork for him to sign, and we see Caleb paying special attention to the pen that he uses
0: yes um i love this i love caleb uh, who's been in the house for literally two seconds he's standing in the entryway and he tells ashley you have a lovely home mrs Marin. what i've seen of it anyway <laughs> i I really like that and i really like when she is talking about sean and she's like i knew sean sean was a minister's son sean called you hannah banana and all of you know valid points all but when you say sean called you hannah banana ashley is basically saying i understood that he was never going to be removing his pants (laughs) on this premises (laughs) it just it wasn't going to happen. Whereas like Ashley sees Caleb and she's like, <laughs> Caleb is very different from Sean. She sees Caleb and she sees this like handsome, unkempt youth. And she can like, she can immediately imagine Caleb in bed with Hannah in a way that like, she knew that was just not going to be happening uh, with, you know, Sean, minister, son, Hannah, banana, caller. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think something that I've always felt about the Ashley-Caleb dynamic is that Caleb is exactly the kind of guy that a young Ashley would have been completely in love with. And in a very different kind of show, I think that Ashley and Caleb probably would have had an affair. I'm so glad that they didn't on PLL, but like, I feel like that's that's kind of a recurring theme throughout the show.
0: Well, I would agree with that, and I would say that um Ashley definitely sleeps with a somewhat shaggy Jason de Laurentiis later on the show's run, so yeah
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. mm-hmm. true, true um
0: oh, go oh ahead. no, so um, at school where it must be the next afternoon because it's light out again oh oh
1: wait ah, wait I- we ha there there was a little bit more to that scene, um because Caleb. Caleb says to Hannah about that he thinks Leland is a fake architect.
0: Oh, yes, yes. That the cheap-looking pen makes Caleb suspect he may not be an architect.
1: And we have our first utterance of it's complicated related to (laughs) Caleb. (laughs) Hannah says it's complicated, and Caleb replies, I like complicated. And thus, you know, a thousand ships set sail.
0: It's good that he likes complicated, because what rosewood has in store for you young man
1: oh my gosh not to mention ravenswood right <laughs> we don't talk about ravenswood uh okay now please take us to school yes, yes. please take us to the dick measuring contest
0: at school where we think it's the next afternoon because it's light outside again uh byron and presra are meeting presra is talking about Arya being an independent reader a fan of fiction and a good student but daddy lizard lips doesn't care about being an engaged parent no he goes right in for so you're taking my wife out when presra talks about the book event byron displaces his anger onto acting like the author leonard adams is a fake very overrated he says This episode, this is where I said the episode should really be titled White Men Behaving Badly. Um, Presner tries to redirect the conversation to the topic at hand, i.e. the English class in which his underage girlfriend is a student, but Byron's immaturity knows no bounds, and he continues trying to intimidate him about Ella. (laughs)
1: Yes, Byron makes sure to name check their marital bed. Did you notice yes,
0: that? She, was like, she hated the last book so much that she flung it across the room. It's also super annoying how he keeps, uh, like, how I felt like it was gross when Nick McCullers called his, you know, 16-year-old daughter my girl. Uh, It's also mm-hmm. kind of gross the way Byron is like, you're taking my wife out um, to try, and, mm-hmm. you know, really promote his ownership of ella despite the fact that they are separated due to his own infidelity and not living together at this time um he definitely wants to police who she can spend time with so yeah yeah um the the bad behavior by a man award is really having some stiff competition in this episode it
1: is it is indeed yes um we next go to some store that I don't think we'll ever go to again, where the liars are shopping. Uh, This is a really cute little scene. Hannah and Aria are being kind of overly polite with one another as they try to figure out who should get this jacket. Um, and then when uh, when Spencer and Emily notice that uh, Hannah and Arya are getting along, basically we have this funny moment of of exposition where Hannah and Arya explain everything that happened in the last episode. <laughs> it's like you guys need to catch up on what happened. So they explain about the ticket. Um, they explain about how A was involved, uh, and then Hannah explains how Caleb uh, helped helped basically helped Ella to not find out and that Caleb is now living in her basement. Spencer is skeptical, but before they can talk about this too much, they notice Jenna who is standing in front of a three-way mirror in like some kind of lacy, like slightly long, long longish negligee thing, just like standing out there in front of, you know, God and everybody. And uh, Jenna sort of hisses in her Jenna way He likes lace.
0: (laughs) Uh, Next up, Aria and Prezra are having a discussion about how Byron hates him, which Aria declares to be impossible. Also, Aria is wearing a hat that makes me feel like I might have called most distracting hat for Emily a bit too early. Uh, This is also maybe a toque, but it's like a multicolored knitted one. Uh, Prezra correctly calls that Byron was jealous because of Ella, but Arya feels like this is also impossible. Oh, girl.
1: Yeah, this is like a weird, this is a weird conversation because everybody is speaking in complete absolutes. It's like, it's an impossibility. He's crazy or he hates me. There's no other option. He doesn't hate you, so he's crazy. He's not crazy, so he hates me. It's like guys there are more options than just these two things like sometimes like the situation might be a little more nuanced than that to uh to quote to quote crazy ex-girlfriend although you know byron is not particularly nuanced in any way
0: yes the imaginations of straight people are somewhat limited in this particular conversation
1: (laughs) yes absolutely um, in her bedroom, Spencer cracks the code. She realizes that the uh, what she perceived as the B A D in braille is actually a number because braille letters correspond to numbers. Which uh, I feel was a little too close to B twenty six. It's a number. It's a
0: girl. <laughs> oh. It might be a song. It might be a song on the jukebox. It might be a falafel. Gold recipe. falafel.
1: That's the rice. <laughs> my goodness it smells bad
0: (laughs) um back at school pam fields is ready to be a present and engaged parent unlike some people we know byron uh she is intercepted by ella who wants to assure her that the school is not going to be bullied by nick mccullers and that everyone there loves emily Pam is puzzled, so Ella elaborates further that he came to school making a big fuss about Emily getting special treatment because she's gay. Pam says, he came here to school and said that? Ella says, in front of teachers, students, everyone. And even though she just said everyone, Pam's next question is, was Emily there? (laughs) Which Ella confirms, she was.
1: Yeah, you know, I I found this conversation really interesting. I feel like um, Ella is saying this to Pam as though she doesn't maybe know that Pam had a bad reaction to Emily's coming out. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder if this was Ashley Marin relaying this to Pam. I feel like like I, I went into this whole like headcanon place that I could t- totally see Aria not talking to Ella about Pam's reaction to Emily coming out, I feel like Hannah would absolutely tell Ashley, you know, that Pam had a bad reaction and that she was worried about Emily and all of that. Um, And that this conversation might look a little differently if it was between Ashley and Pam versus Ella and Pam.
0: I completely agree with that. Um, I also think that if this were a conversation with Veronica, Veronica probably doesn't even know Emily's gay yet. Like She's been out of town (laughs) for most of time true Um, but yeah I think that I think that Aria has her mom on a very strict informational diet and I think probably really maybe the reason that Ella knows that Emily is gay is because Ella is a teacher at the school so of course she'll have seen Emily and Maya
1: I agree I also think that Aria well I was gonna say I think that Aria probably doesn't really talk to her mom about like I think that Arya is pretty self-absorbed some of the time and maybe doesn't talk to her mom about her friends. But then I was remembering the like weird Ella Arya gossip sesh about Hannah's uh, funeral dress. <laughs> so, which was a very unfortunate, that was a low point for Ella that, and you know, Ella's had a few low points in season one lusting after Ezra and uh, commenting on the, you know, the the curvy girl the dress that was not purchased at curvy girl would be two of them for sure
0: yes yes um spencer knocks on the door of toby's house and although no one answers the door creaks open even the door of this house moves creepily she goes in and starts snooping around jenna's space which includes a lot of creepy dolls and a series of window shelves full of snow globes and so this is like really where we're going to get into some of the aesthetics that become really important in in the later pll seasons with the dolls the snow globes um if it were me i would either steal or investigate the open laptop but (laughs) you <laughs> do you, Spencer. She goes for the snow globes only to have Toby appear in the doorway to the room in a creepy silhouette. Uh he tells her to put it back exactly as she found it or Jenna will know she was there, which startles her so much that she almost like drops the snow globe. <laughs> um he tells her that he couldn't answer the door because he was on the phone. The DA is dropping the charges because the blood evidence on the sweater was corrupted. Uh, as Spencer is almost dropping the snow globe, he catches it and takes her hand. He's waiting for his dad to drive him to the courthouse to have his leg watch removed. Spencer says that she could drive him, and he looks so happy in this moment that his hair gets less wolfy as he smiles.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm no, I'm certainly no Spoby shipper, but I, I did like more just like from a cinema, like a cinematic perspective I did like the moment of her almost dropping the snow globe and him kind of catching it like this whole scene is really beautifully shot I thought with the light coming in and everything um but yeah Spencer is so excited for Toby at the prospect that that um the DA might be done with him I mean what a what a complete 180 she's done in such a short period of time
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Um, back at the Marin House, Caleb is reprogramming some home, some phones, and maybe filling them with Black Tar heroin when uh, he reveals to Hannah that he called Syracuse University and found out the truth about James Leland. There was, in fact, a James Leland architect who was related to Esther Potter, but bum bum bum, he's dead. This James Leland is an imposter who is probably not even named James Leland at all. Um, And Caleb comments that knowing the right questions is better than having all the right answers, which is, I I don't know, I think kind of an interesting character point, perhaps for Hannah, as somebody who's full of questions about herself and her own identity, uh, but, but not maybe always so full of answers.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And this is a really nice scene with the two of them. And it's a moment when Caleb trying to solve Hannah's problems for her is like sweet and thoughtful as opposed to a little overbearing as it gets um, as the series goes on.
1: Yeah, I I meant to mention this earlier, but in the the earlier scene where um, that very delightfully awkward scene where Leland picked uh, Ashley up for the date, Caleb, after the two of them leave, Caleb immediately like notices that hannah is uncomfortable around him and hannah kind of tries to brush it off and he's basically telling her no trust your instincts like this guy is creepy and you're you're feeling creeped out by this guy and that's legitimate and i really appreciated that and it it actually made me think about um you know later when hannah is hit on by um by ella's fiance and everything that goes goes down around that whole time period
0: yeah yeah that's a a great point um a red and white cane emerges from a taxi followed by Jenna. Toby's lawyer called her with the good news. I, this lawyer is like, I don't know if he's I don't know where they found him, but he's like a <laughs> chauffeur. He's a phone tree. He's calling Jenna with privileged information. Um, but he called her with the good news and she wants to take Toby uh in the waiting cab to get the ankle bracelet removed. He declines, telling her he has a ride emily jenna says scornfully and then spencer has to correct her jenna tries to uh get spencer to back off but toby grabs spencer's hand and says he is going with her and then jenna's final line in this scene is i see said in the most (laughs) ominous way possible
1: yes yeah jenna is really um she's losing control over this over this situation. And you can see that she is not very pleased about it. Um, Back at the Marin house, Hannah, who is looking very Aria in this particular outfit uh, is confronting Ashley with the information about Mr. Fake architect. Ashley points out that if she pursues this, it's just going to draw more attention to the whole situation. And uh, she's, she's just as content to show him the contents of the safety deposit box and go from there. And, and what do you think about, ashley's reaction here
0: i don't understand ashley's reaction at all ashley works for the bank so i think that checking up on this guy who showed up out of nowhere and is claiming to be related to someone who had an account there i think checking up on him is actually called doing your job i don't think that i don't think it would seem at all out of place and so what if this guy says well i i am an imposter who was here to get what I thought was a lot more money out of this box. I don't think they're really going to like take his word over Ashley's, but um, yeah, I, I don't really know uh, what to make of, of Ashley being so sort of laissez faire about it. Although it's possible, Ashley just doesn't want to encourage Hannah to play detective or to get any more involved in this situation. Cause Ashley definitely does mm. use this information um, to kind of try to intimidate Leland a little bit later on.
1: Right. And I mean, it would also be sort of um, admitting that Caleb is right here. And, and Ashley is not very approving of Caleb at this point. Now, is this the last episode where the safety deposit box is is a storyline?
0: I am going to tentatively say yes. Although... Okay. I wouldn't like, you know, I wouldn't stake any um, wealthy chipmunk-like old lady's lives on it. <laughs>
1: gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Aria is at home. She is journaling, perhaps a bit angrily, and, uh, and and when her dad walks in, and Aria is going to be very, very cool, calm, and collected about the fact that her dad doesn't like Mr. Fence. Just kidding. Uh, Arya is going to totally freak out about the fact that Byron uh, doesn't like Fitz, and they get into this whole conversation. Byron thinks that Ezra is a lightweight, and that basically all of the children and women are snowed by uh, Ezra's boyish smile, and Byron is more clear-headed about it and can see Ezra for who he is. Really, though, Byron is uh, is is very, very uh, distracted by all the dick measuring that's been going on, and he is not picking up on the fact that Arya is way too invested in her in him liking her english teacher.
0: Yes, yes. Byron is like he is being so shitty here it is really it is like really astonishing he says there's not a lot of depth there oh he's nice looking and easy going but he does that boyish smile thing a little too much and it's like it's hilarious because i agree with everything that byron is saying about Presra, but i hate byron so i'm really left <laughs> i'm really left in a weird position in this scene i don't know i don't know what side i'm supposed to be on i, I guess i'm on Arya's side just wishing that she would maybe wise up but yeah byron is definitely playing the role of clear-headed and impartial white man who knows everything because he says so um i think it's really hilarious when Arya, as a reason for her dad to like her english teacher says he's published and then byron instead of clocking the fact that's a super weird thing to say he's like online journals aren't published published as ink and paper because i say so (laughs) come on um he does mention ella in the book signing again and Arya clues him into the fact that half of the english teachers are going to that um byron looks surprised but of course being the impartial white man who is never wrong, he does not admit his mistake.
1: Right, and it's clear here that you know Ella. Ella was sort of letting him believe that um, that it was more of a date.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really fun scene. It's a really fun scene. Do you want to take us back to
0: the bank? Well, Ashley shows James Leland the safe deposit box and he is unhappy to find only $3,000 of illegally gotten gains inside. He says family myth was that Mrs. Potter had a lot of cash socked away somewhere. Ashley says they don't encourage people to keep lots of money in their safety deposit boxes. Then she asks him where he banks in Syracuse and offers to call the bank to clarify their policies, which she assures him are standard across the industry. But the possibility of her checking on him clearly gets him spooked. And also then at the end, she just puts the three K back in the safety deposit box. So I guess this was a situation where he had the right papers to look at the box but not take possession of it because in the world of banking that Ashley works in, nothing actually makes sense.
1: (laughs) No, of course not. It's of course not. It's like the legal world, you know, in PLL, (laughs) nothing, nothing makes sense. Uh, Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's a, there's, Ashley is very like cool calm collected in this scene, you know, and uh, James Leland drops it. Uh, Back at school, Pam, um, Pam, Pam goes over to Emily and asks about Nick coming to the school. She's clearly very anxious. And Emily is clearly just like, again, like she doesn't want to be having this conversation. And but Pam continues to press and Emily finally says, yeah, it's true. And when Pam asks why Emily didn't tell her, Emily just sort of just kind of snaps back. "You Really don't know why I didn't tell you. And says that she she expected that Pam would basically just say that Emily better get used to people looking at her only one way. And you can see that Pam is really struggling here. She spies Nick McCullers, who's standing just a few feet away, and marches right over to him. They get into this conversation where uh, Nick refers to Emily's queerness as Pam's family problems. And Paige in the background kind of shudders. And uh, Pam gets really, really worked up. And one of the things she says to Nick is you always think there's someone else to blame when things don't go your way, which is such an interesting line, because that's basically what Pam has been doing ever since Emily came out, is blaming everything and everyone else for why this happened this way. You know, at first it's Wayne wasn't around. And so Emily's been getting confused. Then it's Maya, Maya's influence. And then it's Maya's drugs. Uh, but it, it could never be anything other than the fact that it's Emily is just simply queer. Um, as, as Pam tells Nick to drop it, she kind of marches away. She's shaking and tearful. And I feel like it's a good portrayal of like that kind of adrenaline you feel when you do something kind of impulsive and dramatic like that. Um, and, and Pam says to Emily, I still don't understand, but I love you. You're my child and nobody hurts my child. And she says, I'm sorry if I, and she kind of cuts herself off and Emily hugs her. You can tell things are not perfect between them, but they're, they're on the right track.
0: Yeah, this is a great, great scene. This is really a turning point for Pam. I love the journey that her face goes on after Emily says, you know, you don't know why I didn't tell you. I, I knew what you were going to say um, that Pam understands in that moment that emily is classing her own mother in in the category of people who would hurt her daughter because of her queerness and that Mm -hmm. really like that's a breaking point for pam i think and she really like gets her mama bear mode activated when she goes after nick mccullers and i feel like she goes after him particularly hard because she understands that she has something to prove here Uh, to her daughter and i also think when she um when she uh, she she also gives him that we need to talk which i know is one of your favorite lines um that somebody can say on this show Uh, it always leads to something great um but when she says to him my daughter never got anything she didn't earn that's how we raised her that's who she is i feel like pam did not have certainty about that until she said it in that moment. Like that's a thing that she has been struggling with. Like this isn't how we raised Emily. I don't understand this person that Emily's becoming. And in this moment when she has to defend Emily against a threat from the outside, this is a moment when Pam really gets a lot of clarity on Emily still being the same person who she's always known and the same daughter um, that she's raised. So i I just really like Mm -hmm. the writing on that and i also i like when nick tries to give her the okay i see you're upset you know parentheses hysterical woman um and pam is like no but i'm getting there i (laughs) i really um i love the way that pam's anger just builds to the point that like nick is totally powerless against it um and i think that the the reconciliation that she and Emily have at the end here is um, I I just think it's really heartfelt and it's one of those really good emotional beats that early seasons PLL was capable of delivering on.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I I think one of the things that's so effective about Pam's um, Pam's little speech to Nick is you can tell that when she walks over there, she isn't even really sure what she's going to say. She just needs to say something. She needs to get it out. And uh, I think that Nia Peoples plays the range of everything that Pam goes through in these few minutes really, really well. I love the way that she just kind of marches off and she's she's just kind of overwhelmed and feeling so much. And I love the detail that Emily has just told her right before this conversation that she has her car in the lot, but Pam doesn't even remember in this moment because she's just so like full of pure adrenaline and and kind of overwhelmed. And uh, and that she really wants Emily to come home. And um, that's a really sweet, sweet moment because you can tell that that is not what the dynamic has been between them lately. That it's, they've been basically like, you know, two strangers living in this house. And the idea that Pam is like, I really want you to come home. Um, you know, I want to see you at home. It is it, something very sweet about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I just feel like um, the journey not only that Pam's face takes, but we, we've we seen a lot of really good um, acting via facial expressions while other people are talking in this episode. You mentioned Paige's mm-hmm. face when her dad is ranting earlier. We also get a shot of Paige's face when Emily's mom is going off on, on Pam. Uh, and we also have Emily's face while Pam is doing this, which all, all of those are really nice. Um, I also feel like this scene not not this particular scene where she's yelling at nick but this whole incident actually is something that brings Pam closer with the other moms uh because when she asks emily about what's going on uh she says to emily is it true what aria's mom told me she doesn't even call her like mrs montgomery or ella like she's just Hmm. only sees ella as aria's mom and you know she doesn't really like ella because she thinks ella was like very permissive letting aria have pink hair and a, a european god True. lifestyle um so i just think that this is like it brings pam into the the community uh in a way that that maybe she wasn't before
1: you know that's so interesting that was making me think that it's almost like each of the moms has sort of had um like a bit of an initiation moment in this first season like we had you know Veronica standing up for the liars uh, in the Perfect Storm episode. We've had um, Ashley and El- I mean Ashley and and Hannah's relationship kind of all season has been that of like Ashley stepping up, standing up for Hannah, fighting for Hannah, um, doing whatever it takes for Hannah. Um, Ella maybe doesn't quite get a moment like that, although I feel like the moment uh in the in the 1A finale when she and, and Arya finally talked was kind of maybe a version of that. And now we have this moment with Pam where it's like Pam is Pam is stepping up for Emily in a way that Emily didn't expect her to.
0: Yes. Yes. Are we ready? Can I take us to the outskirts of town?
1: yes our little uh spoby does la la land scene
0: here yes yes Uh, on the outskirts of town a place that might even be lookout point uh where spencer will uh almost get killed later on in the series Uh, toby and spencer are looking down at the lights of rosewood and the star-filled sky Uh, toby tells spencer he doesn't want his old life back he needs to start making some changes she reveals that she figured out the clue braille uses symbols for numbers and letters it's not B-A-D, it's two one four. Um, he also tells her that Jenna was on the phone in her room talking about Spencer. Uh, and she typed something on her computer that printed out on the embosser and Toby snuck in and made a rubbing of it later on. It could be anything, an area code, a house number, um, but they need to figure it out for both their sakes. Spencer tell, asks him if he's afraid of Jenna and Toby says, I was, I still have to be careful not to cross her. She's got the power in that house, but I'm not afraid of her the way I used to be. That makes her nervous. You make her nervous. And Spencer is like very taken with that idea <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and on to say, I think she's afraid of you. And the rest of Allison's friends who were there the night of the fire. Dom, tom, Hmm.
1: Boom, boom, boom. Yes, you know, like like a classic abuser, uh, Jenna is the person in the household with the power, uh, where wherever you know her mood can kind of dictate dictate the, the tenor of the whole household. Uh, but but I do think that this is an like not even from a shipy perspective, but I do like this scene between the two of them. I think you see that way in which Toby and Spencer are kind of kindred spirits a bit. And uh, yes, Spencer clearly really likes the idea that she makes Jenna nervous, which is funny. Um, in the in the uh, the Rosewood High parking lot, Emily walks to her car. She uh, she gets in her car. She's about you know ready to drive away. And the passenger door flies open and in comes a panting and panicked Paige McCullers, who just sort of sits there breathing for a second And, uh, you know, uh, Paige starts to starts to apologize uh, for her dad's behavior. She's saying, you know, it's like your mom said. Uh, And and Emily just again, like Emily keeps ending up in these conversations that she doesn't want to be in in this episode. She is like, I have to go home. My mom is waiting for me. And Paige just kind of takes a breath. And she says, your mom's waiting. God, why is everything so easy for you? And that is the last straw on this very hard, no good, very bad day that Emily has had. She just kind of goes off and she says, easy for me. What planet do you live on? And she goes on to talk about how she spent most of her life trying not to feel the way that she feels. You know, she gets her first girlfriend and she gets shipped off to God knows where. Um, And and now and now her girlfriend might be done with her. So she says, yeah, you know, it's all easy for Em all the time. And with that page mccullers goes for it and she kisses emily fields and no sooner can emily react to this moment than page has pulled away said don't tell and uh and run out of emily's car what a moment
0: what a moment indeed um I love that Emily goes on this whole thing about how life is not easy for her. And I feel like the one part of that that Paige hears is that Emily's girlfriend might be done with her. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yes, yeah. I'm I'm fluent in like high school queer. So I feel like... (laughs) I feel
1: like like Emily could have... Could have you know she could have started back from like Allison you know I was in love with Allison da, 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 but you know but now Allison's dead and Paige would be like oh so there's less competition huh <laughs> oh yes I know why does Paige go for it here do you think
0: oh well I think that Paige goes for it here because Paige needs to communicate a whole lot of things to emily (laughs) and she does not have the words to articulate it um as we've seen whenever Paige starts to talk about this stuff um she gets panicky she gets flustered she starts talking a mile a minute and saying nothing um and i think that this is just a moment where Paige understands that words are failing her and so she chooses another way to tell her tale.
1: Yeah, um, there's there's so much to unpack in this scene. Uh, One of the most interesting lines to me in this scene is Paige echoing Emily when she says, your mom's waiting. And I feel like you can read so much into that line. Like Paige has not been privy to Emily's, like from Paige's perspective, Emily Fields has a mom who is, like, awesome, right? Because Paige has not been privy to everything that's been going on between Emily and Pam. Paige has just seen uh, Emily's mom stand up for Emily to, you know, homophobe about town, Nick McCullers. And um, like, I I don't know, I just feel like there's something about the way she says your mom's waiting. Like, just the idea of having a parent who cares enough to wait. And having like a parent that you want to go, come home to and having a parent who like loves and stands up for you is such a foreign concept to Paige.
0: Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. I also think this is sort of a, you know, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. I think that Paige feels like there, Paige feels like she's at such a low point, it can't really get any worse for her. So she's just going to go ahead. Like, she's just going to go ahead and do this thing that she's been wanting to do for basically her whole life, Um, (laughs) you know, since she was 14 at least. Uh, She's just going to go for it. She's just going to kiss Emily and then she's going to peace out into the night. Whatever else happens, at least she got that.
1: Yeah. And I love, I mean, how. How perfect, how beautiful that she says, "Don't tell here," and then the theme of that, you know, with "Don't look away," with "If I say it out loud, the whole world is going to change," with um, the Allison Page scene at, at the end, where you know Page basically demands that Allison tell the truth. I mean, we just spent an hour and a half talking all about Page a couple days ago, but I just think that that's such a like that theme of the truth and and what you tell and what you what you don't say is so interesting. Well,
0: yeah, because this this isn't like a hugely intimate kiss. It doesn't last for a really long time and Emily is uh a, a lot too surprised to really be kissing back. Um also Emily is still like trying to figure out what's going on with Maya. So Emily is not uh, looking for any swim team members to come into her car and kiss her at, at this particular moment. Um, right. So, and, you know, just like in general, consent is a great thing to get before you kiss someone, just putting that out mm-hmm. there. But um, in this moment, Paige is like the intimacy comes from Paige trusting Emily with the information that she's queer. Hmm. Yeah, don't tell really like drives that home. Mhm.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's I mean, doesn't she what is do you remember like what is the line that she says to Allison in that scene? It's something like what if you just what if you just said it just once or something like that. I don't quite remember what the line is. Yeah, it's something like it's, it's something that I feel echoes this line in a really really interesting way. Um do we have more we want to say on this or should we move back to the Marin house? Oh no,
0: I would be happy to uh go into the Marin kitchen where Hannah is objecting to Caleb pouring too much OJ into his water bottle. And she says, Not all of it, my mom will notice. Uh Caleb suggests that she say it was evaporation, and he asks her to walk him home, which is basically to the door of the basement. Uh he's no longer in a super hurry to get to Arizona, and she thanks him. For everything that he did. And there's just this nice moment of tension when they get to the basement door where it seems like maybe they both want to kiss, but then they don't. Uh, cue Mona out there somewhere hitting the panic button <laughs> because soon as Caleb is safely downstairs, the doorbell rings again. This is like the third person who's been ringing the Marin's doorbell this episode, um, but it is an elderly exterminator who is wearing a Ghostbuster-style fumigant <laughs> jetpack pack and asking Hannah if she's A. Uh, someone reported an infestation in the basement, and the only name they gave was A., Hannah tells him he has the wrong house, but she is obviously worried about this new complication.
1: Yeah, I mean, slow clap for Mona here. Like, I just, you know, I just love the idea that Mona is like, nope, 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 nope. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we got to deal with this.
0: Like <laughs> it was like it was literally like that, like they have that moment where they might kiss, and like two seconds later, that old man is out there on the doorstep. So Mona, obviously, <laughs> hyperadrenalized reality, she works quick.
1: Yeah, this is like basically Mona just being like, "Hell, no, <laughs> this is not happening. Mayday, Mayday. I mean um,
0: might have been Mona in a mask. <laughs>
1: I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. One of those good coconut oil (laughs) masks. Um, (laughs) Yes. A well-played Mona. Um, Over at uh, Casa de Prezra, they are making out on the couch when Byron calls and leaves a voicemail for Ezra where he basically says, you know, he's sorry. He's read Ezra's short stories and he'd like to talk about them. He'd like to buy Ezra a beer. And uh, this immediately, you know, pours cold water on their romantic moment here. And they break apart in a moment that was actually did kind of make me laugh. And uh, they they are going to they're going to go eat an egg roll instead of each other's faces.
0: <laughs> I mean, poor Presra. Every single Montgomery wants to do him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. He's yep. Got, yep. got Byron wanting to take him out for a beer. like. Byron could just he could just say I'm sorry about my behavior I would like to talk about my daughter's performance in your English class again like that would be a perfectly acceptable thing to do but nope nope gotta go out for some uh some board short ale together
1: <laughs> Yep, yeah everyone wants a bite of Ezra's egg roll um yes and then in a sort of little like ending ending moment here uh Spobie drives drives home and they go past a motel and we see that the motel has the number 214 on one of the doors and uh in our little a tag here a leaves flowers at mrs potter's grave so maybe mona did kill her after all uh but that i think kind of puts a button on the whole mrs potter storyline if memory serves me correct
0: Yes, I think you are right. I also want to call out that I think the motel that they're using here for um, the 214, it looks like the same motel that Ren was staying in where Hannah picked up Spencer uh, at the time when Mona was doing the long distance dedication.
1: True, true, very true. It also looks close to the set of like whatever the train station and they do the set of them being at the train station is. So yeah, probably just all the same set. Um, Yes, and that is the episode—a super fun, super super fun episode. I think uh, setting a lot of the relationships in motion. Uh, I have no memory of. Is the next episode the uh, the motel campout episode? Uh,
0: the next episode is the badass seed, which is the episode. Oh. Where they- one of my favorites from this era of the show and uh whatever's going on with spoby i can tell you that mona vanderwall is back and she is going to be in the play and she is going to be having aria get her bubbly water and i for one am really excited about it
1: (laughs) isn't aria like the um is she like the stage manager or something like, like, she has some important role
0: no she doesn't really have an she's like she's wiggled her way into being like the assistant to Fitz, and it's one of it's like the script supervisor I mean, or something i like that episode a lot despite the fact that it has a ton of presria in it But I like it because it's one of the episodes where, like, it's so dumb that we pretend that anyone doesn't know what's going on between them because they're constantly having like little snits of jealousy at one another.
1: (laughs) Oh gosh! Oh, Presria! Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm excited for that one. I, I, um, I, I think I remember hearing that that was an originally it was going to be a longer storyline of them putting on a play, but uh, I'm happy for the amount that that we do get. (laughs)
0: and i feel like i mean it is very distressing that pll never like spent a whole season doing like the play within the play i feel like that is really a lost opportunity but i i will take whatever we can get i will take the badass seed as uh the play uh that, that we get to see them rehearsing
1: like a noises off style season of pretty little liars yes. that would have been that would have been wonderful. Yes, noises yes.
0: off play on whatever uh whatever play within a play they would want to do. I would I would be so there. I mean, they could have done Hamlet, they could have done Macbeth. They, they could have been just they, they could have done like a, a a modern day adaptation of Lolita written by Presra fitz himself. Um so many. Or
1: they could have done like a, like, and then there was none kind of thing. Like that would have been really interesting or clue. Like so many, so many possibilities. Yeah. yeah. But um if you have thoughts on this episode, if you, uh, let's see, if you have thoughts on what the new normal is for this one, if you have thoughts on the terrible behavior of all of the awful white men in this episode, Feel free to send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. We would love if you would give us a rating and review on iTunes um yeah and we're looking forward to being back oh and if you want you can check out our uh bonus episode hey there Paige mccullers which we posted a couple of days ago
0: yes please let us know if you have an opinion on whether emily or aria's hat was the most distracting (laughs) and whether uh you ever had a girl sneak into your car and kiss you in the parking lot of your high school i hope you did
1: (laughs) yes and we will be back next week with uh with the badass seed hey Take care.